natural ability that's you can't coach. It's it's hard to coach. For me, he's one of the most talented players in the country. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Yeah, you're welcome along. Tuesday evenings off the ball. Joe Malloy with you. We are going to talk to Katie Mullen this evening, the Irish hockey captain, who is also playing in an All-Ireland Camogie final this Saturday. We will speak to Eric Donovan as well after his weekend in Glasgow, beaten against the very impressive Rubisi Ramirez, a third round stoppage. We'll also chat about the roving goalkeeper in Gaelic football, Rory Began, Niall Morgan, you name it, Jason Sherlock and Maliki Clerken on the way after eight o'clock. And on the football show, amongst other things, we'll chat to Adam Pope from BBC Leeds about Marcelo Bielsa, the most popular uh, manager ever, I think, to be sacked in the history of football with the fans. We will also hear from Jack Byrne after stellar performance for Shamrock Rovers last night. I think it's fair to say League of Ireland is better with Jack Byrne in it. Richie McCormack, good evening. Hello. Hey, Joe. Even you would admit the league is better with Jack Byrne in it. Even you. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I mentioned this with Enda, um, before the season started. Ooh, Wi-Fi Gremlins! Yeah. Your Bohemian spirit wouldn't let you it, say the next sentence. We will get you back on a better line in just one second. Ronan Mullen here in studio. Hello. Hi, Joe. So we're talking to Eric Donovan around half past seven or so. He was in Glasgow at the weekend. The chief. A supporting act to the main event there and he was against Rubisi Ramirez. It was a third round stoppage. Rubisi Ramirez, 28 years of age, a two-time Olympic champion and a very, very hot prospect as he is beginning his move into the professional ranks. And it was a difficult night for Eric Donovan, third round stoppage. Yeah, like Ramirez almost has like a, a false presence in professional boxing at the moment, given he had that mishap earlier off the back of that stem, stellar amateur success that you're alluding to. Lost his first fight in the pros. Yeah, and yeah. Like was able to address that in the subsequently against the same opponent, but that kind of sets you off kilter a little bit. Typically, you know, a nice seamless progression up the ranks and a world title shot in your first 10 fights or so. Hasn't quite panned out like that, but he seems to have settled quite nicely into the pro ranks now. And, you know, for Eric, it was a fight he had to take given the stature of it, as you alluded to, you know, chief support on a huge showcase uh, event on Sky Sports and it just it looked like a difficult task on paper and proved to be an even more difficult task in reality because I think as much of a skillster or slickster as Eric is Ramirez is one of the greatest amateurs of this century certainly and it was evidenced on Saturday night Yeah so we'll chat to Eric half past seven I'm sure lots of you watched the fight it was on Sky Showcase formerly Sky One now Sky Showcase I'm still and used to that, so I'm sure lots of you caught the fight. It's a rebrand for rebrand sake, Joe, I would say. Indeed. I think everybody knew what Sky One was. <laughs> so we're going to chat with Maliki Clerk and, and Jason Sherlock as well. The roving goalkeeper, Rory Began, Nile Morgan, etc. Uh, the precursor, of course, Shane Curran. Let's not forget his place in history here. Of course. And so uh, Began was caught out on Sunday against Kerry. Although really it was a terrible pass to him. It was a flat pass, a square pass, no pace on it. And Sean O'Shea pounced, Kerry went up the field, Devin Clifford scored into an empty goal. And lots of GA fans, I suspect, and former players sat there with their arms crossed and said, it's been coming, mm. it's been coming. So where Sherlock is on this will be interesting, given that he's, you know, one of the foremost uh, thinkers, you would think, around. And uh, very recently involved with Dublin. And then Malachy Clerken will be on as well, who's... Seen it all and been watching uh, quite a few of the games and obviously is a Monaghan man as well. So I'm sure, I'm sure he's had that emotional sense of watching Rory Began come out the field, heart in his mouth. From a point where we can generously say 
Gaelic football didn't evolve all that much in the 20th century, Joe. In, come to 21st century, there's actually been huge strides forward, even specifically in the realm of goalkeeping from you know, the kick-out strategies, more and more goalkeepers taking free kicks, and then laterally this... Um, this constant sort of risk reward of, you know, involving themselves for continuous play in an outfield setting and gallivanting is the technical gallivanting, term. That's the technical term indeed. Yeah. But like you've got the likes of Rory Began is well <coughs> excuse me, well equipped for it, Niall Morgan similarly. But you wonder is this gonna be a trend that's adopted in the same way that in soccer, you know, split centre backs from kickouts with teams that aren't necessarily equipped to carry it out. And you know, when you've got the, the calibre of a goalkeeper of those mentioned, I think it's perfectly fine. And I was at the Armand Monin game the weekend before last, and it was actually a crucial element of Monin's game plan to stay in that game where Rory Began, at a time when Monin were down to 13 men, was sort of fundamental in keeping possession for the latter period of that game. That's an extreme example, though. No, but like 13 men, I get that. Yeah, but even my natural inclination was when the black card happened for Manon, oh, he's going to have to go back and goal now. Yeah. But if anything, they double down. Mm. But I think, as we were discussing earlier, the high watermark for it was the Ulster final last year where, at times, Morgan and Began were going head-to-head in midfield. Yeah. I did wonder about it, even that day. There were times where Niall Morgan was going forward and Peter Hart was covering him in the goal. And I was thinking... I mean, look, you're doing okay and everything, Niall Morgan, but I think Peter Hart will be better in possession mm. in the opposition half than you. And that's where you wonder if it's just innovation for innovation's sake. And the element of surprise is long gone as well now. I mean, that was one of the great uh, weapons is that no one's expecting this. Here I come and it's an overlap or it's, you know, a, a touch of chaos for the opposition to deal with. Whereas now, if you're playing Monon, if you're playing Tyrone, you're planning for this and maybe setting traps for this. And I don't know. I, I, I think for me, jury is still very much out. You wouldn't want to discourage innovation. Like for starters, not just booting the ball long from a kick out and trying to keep possession. That is a no brainer. I think as well, getting involved in the build up play around your own uh, goals to provide an extra man. Absolutely 100%. And I think even, you know, 20, 30 metres from goal, if you can arrive and inject a bit of pace and provide an overlap, provide an extra man to almost break a press. Yeah, I think that's okay too. But like a begging uh, standing on the halfway line when Monaghan are going nowhere. I'm not sure about that. I don't know what that's adding. Yeah. I, d- I don't know what the benefit there is to make the risk worth it. And one of the highlights of the championship last season was Began racing back to dispossess, dispossess Matty Donnelly, putting himself in a position which they probably shouldn't have been in in the first place where he had to do that. And, you know, it's like live by the sword, die by the sword. Mm-hmm. There are instances where it pays off. And the extreme example was Ethan Rafferty, who came through Armagh, underage ranks as a precocious attacker and now has been donning the 16 jersey on the programme for the last two seasons never got a run out in, in meaningful action necessarily but sprung from the from the start against uh, Mayo at the weekend and one of the few highlights that was shown on TV at the weekend made a really telling contribution where he burst through midfield and, and laid on Aidan Nugent which looked like a crucial score at that time in the game and that very much was the element of surprise because Blaine Hughes who had you know, nailed down that number one spot Mayo number one weren't expecting him to be dropped necessarily and also for Rafferty to, be, Rafferty to basically spend most, most of that game outfield would have caught him on the hop but they're going to be fut- like for the championship people are going to be well, ready for that now when Mayo came up against Monaghan in the league this year they did have a bit of a plan for Begin I mean they marked him at times and took him out of the game so I mean they had been talking about it the one I don't understand as well and it was on show in Tralee where Dublin had Evan Comerford 
pushed right up for Kerry kickouts, almost to say, there's no space in this part of the field. I'm here. And he was on his own. He wasn't marking anyone. He was almost just blocking off, say, just short of halfway this section of the pitch. And I was thinking, I mean, bomb it on him. Bombs away. We, we, there's no good outcome there for Everton Comerford. I don't think if you have a David Morn or a Nathan O'Shea sprinting to that portion of the pitch and ball kick there, either realistically, the most likely thing is O'Shea or Morn are going to win it over him. And then does Comerford tackle them? Does he start sprinting back towards his goal? Well, like, why? That's bad. I mean, it's just bad all round, panic all round there. Or say Comfort manages to rise above Aidan O'Shea or David Moore and mm. come down with the ball. Would you back him not to fail the ball? Would you back him to give away possession cleanly? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, that one I just can't work out. I understand it's a deterrent, as in there's no space here. Yeah. Actually, for me, as an opposition goalkeeper, I would think this is better than no space. Not only <laughs> mm. is there, in reality, there is space because you're, you know, you're not the size of my bigger men, but now your goalkeeper's out of the goal and 30, 40. 50 uh, metres from goal I mean all hell's going to break loose so that one I, I can't understand that one Yeah from in the Arma Dublin game which at the time felt like an outlier has now established a trend of Dublin performances but Dublin fell way behind in that game in the second half put the squeeze on Arma's kickouts and Arma were doing that bunch and break where you know huddle the players in the middle and split either side and basically comfort from the start of the second half was standing in that space that you're talking about. So from that point of view, it's a need-must situation. Let's get as many people to press these kickouts as we can. And Dublin actually almost found a route back into the game by dint of that. But like when Cluxton pushed up in that drawn All-Ireland final, that was circumstance. But to do it against Kerry and to make it like a go-to game plan doesn't make any sense because I do think... um, they will come undone eventually because it's not an overly sophisticated game plan to spot one of the like someone who's not equipped to be playing outfield for long spells and against like one of the most competitive like aerial parts of the field, that middle third. So I don't know. I think there is strands of it that are innovation for innovation's sake and yet like it's been borne out in the last decade or so from Stephen Tuxton on that the goalkeepers have become arguably the most yeah. central figures in the game, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bielsa more popular than Bobby Robson when he was sacked from Newcastle. I doubt that, says one taxter. He's a good example, Robson. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Fernandinho handed the captain's armband to Zinchenko, says D in Dublin 1. What a beautiful gesture. Who says millionaire players in an ego-filled game aren't capable of enormous acts of empathy? I mean, look, it was a nice thing to do. I I don't think giving it to Zinchenko was literally in tears before the game for very obvious reasons. I don't know, like, was it an enormous act of empathy? I mean, do we have such a low base for our uh, Premier League footballers that just an acknowledgement that your uh, country's at war and your family may be stuck there and and something to kind of say, we're thinking of you. I don't know if that's an enormous act of empathy. It was a nice thing to do and everything, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go crazy about it. Maybe that's just me being cynical, I don't know. No, but like, the symbolism is what it is and you don't want to put a huge amount of stock in it, but at the same time, you know, there are, Presumably Ukrainians will draw some comfort from that kind of thing. Oh, it was nothing to do. I'm, no, just, I'm not falling over it, though. No, but I was more going to allude to the, the scenes before the that Everton City game, which, you know, the circumstances around Man City's affiliations behind the scenes and, and latterly Everton's, which will probably come to in the news around here, that, you know, to see Zinchenko in tears, mm. you know, like this, this was a touching, uh, like, touching moment. It was, 100%, yeah. And... In the grand scheme, like it's all relative, obviously, you know, like sport can only serve that symbolism to a certain degree. But uh, I think the text are probably a a smaller example of that. Mm. So the news round is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Richie, we are hoping you're there and ready to 
take off with news of Usmanov and Everton. Yeah, growing calls for Everton to cut their ties with sponsor Ali Sher Uzmanov. The Uzbek-born billionaire has had his assets frozen by the EU following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and his close ties to Vladimir Putin. Uzmanov's holding company, USM, has naming rights to Everton's training ground, Finch Farm, and a company he owns, Megaphone, is Everton's shirt sleeve sponsor and the primary sponsor of the women's team. The former Arsenal shareholder also paid €36 million Euro recently for the option of naming rights to Everton's soon-to-be-built Bramley Murdoch Stadium. Usmanov says he'll pursue all legal means to protect his reputation. But UK Labour MP Chris Bryan told Parliament today that measures against Usmanov and indeed Roman Abramovich are long overdue. Alicia Usmanov has already been sanctioned by the EU but not yet by the UK but I suspect he'll be pretty soon on a UK list and Everton should certainly be cutting ties with him already. Roman Abram- Abramovich, well I think he's terrified of being sanctioned, which is why he's already going to sell his home tomorrow um, and, uh, and sell another flat as well. And he's, uh, 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 my anxiety is that we're taking too long about these things. Now, I'd have a suggestion on what might help. I fear that the government is frightened of letters, lawyers' letters from um, all these oligarchs' friends. One way to circumvent that is if ministers just read into the record in a proceeding in Parliament all the sanctioned criteria and then they'd be protected. He's been very strong in this, it must be said. So the EU today froze the assets of six or seven oligarchs, certainly. Now we know Liz Truss said at the weekend there is a UK hit list. She was citing legal complications with trying to implement those sanctions, but there's definitely a sense that they're uh, coming. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, meanwhile, Richie, interesting exchange at his press conference. Yeah, he snapped at reporters following repeated questions regarding Roman Abramovich's Chelsea ownership. Ahead of tomorrow's FA Cup trip to Luton, Tuchel faced four questions related to Abramovich and the invasion of Ukraine. But by the fifth, he'd had enough. No, listen, 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 you have to stop. I'm not a politician. You have to stop, honestly. I can only repeat it. And I even feel bad to repeat it because I never experienced war. So even to talk about it, I feel bad because I'm very privileged. I sit here in peace and I do the best I can, but you have to stop asking me these questions. I have no answers for you. I don't really know what the questions were that he was asked, but I do have sympathy for him in his position. He always struck me as a decent man, intelligent man. And what can he say? I mean, sure, he can come out and uh, destroy Putin or destroy the war. I don't know. What was he asked, Richie? Did you get to see the full press conference? Uh, uh, Yeah, it's, it's along the lines of is the questions over the ownership of Roman Abramovich a distraction in the lead up to you know the remainder of Chelsea season starting with that trip to Kenilworth Road tomorrow night um, you know are you concerned about where Chelsea are going in light of what may or may not happen to Abramovich etc etc so it was along those lines it was looking to get the footballing perspective from Tuchel and also obviously asking a bit about the, the invasion itself um, so you can understand you know why uh, question number five when he's tried to put out as many platitudes and straight bats as he can that he he, he might lose the rag um, it, it kind of shows the difference in setups for European clubs and um, English ones because a few people have pointed out that the likes of Bayern Munich say would have Hassan Salihamidzic their sporting director out front for these kinds of matters 
and these kinds of matters will be put to like the sporting director or put to a director of football not the person who's uh, tasked with the day-to-day running of the you know the starting squad of 22 or whatever it is um, so Chelsea especially in this instance mm-hmm. should have somebody out front dealing with these questions because it's not going away from, from their point of view whatever about you know Jurgen Klopp or uh, Jesse Marsh or whoever else being asked about the invasion. Chelsea are going to be asked about this repeatedly and there's now talk obviously of prospective bidders coming in with Abramovich as you heard there from Chris Bryant considering at least uh, diving out of the UK so be, it would behoove them to have somebody ready to answer these questions to basically soak up the first 10 minutes of a press conference and let Tuchel get on with you know what he has to get on with mm. I mean, I also sense if they were the nature of the questions, I would sense someone as intelligent as Tuchel realises how ridiculous it would be to be talking about how the war is a distraction to his footballing preparation and he doesn't want to go down. Not necessarily the war, but like the the Abramovich ownership and his passing off of the stewardship. To yeah, the, but, to you know, but by, by extension, like this, this war has caused an issue for Abramovich and therefore it's affecting my players. I think Tuchel sees how that would appear. And so it, it's in a no-win, he's in a no-win situation, I think, at the moment. There's no update on the Abramovich peace talks we've been hearing so much about, I presume. Uh, no, no. no. The, that, that seems to have been a, a bit of a red herring, um, according to reports from yesterday evening, at least anyway. So okay. uh, not that we should give it any credence to begin with. No. So World Athletics then have followed suit. Yeah, World Athletics announcing today that Russian and Belarusian athletes have been banned from all upcoming events. It means neither country will be represented at this month's World Indoor Championships in Belgrade, nor the Summer's World Championships in Oregon. Russian athletes have been able to compete as neutrals, of course, due to their federation's ban by World Athletics since 2015. But that loophole has also been closed. As swimming's governing body FINA says that Russian and Belarusians will only be able to compete as neutrals. They've also withdrawn the FINA Order Award bestowed upon Vladimir Putin back in 2014. While Basketball Chiefs, FIBA, say that all Russian teams and officials are no longer allowed to compete in 5 at basketball and 3 by 3 basketball competitions worldwide. Okay. Now, we do have football this evening. We mentioned Uzmanov and Everton. They are playing. Yeah, and the bad news could continue for them tonight. Uh, Everton could find themselves in the relegation zone of the Premier League tonight. That's if Burnley win at home to Leicester. That'll see Frank Lampard's side fall into the bottom three. Meanwhile, Everton have received an apology from the Premier League referees, Chief Mike Riley, after they were denied a penalty by VAR against Manchester City at the weekend. Rodri looked to have handled the ball in his own penalty area, but the Premier League later claimed that there was insufficient evidence of handball in that particular instance. But Riley has apologised to the owners and indeed to Lampard. Okay. He didn't phone up Frank, or do we know? I think he did, yeah. I think there was, there was personal phone calls involving... Uh, Lampard was definitely one, and Farhad Mashiri, I think, might have been another. Okay. Um, but they wanted to show contrition for this. Not that it's much use to Everton, like who could, <laughs> are probably going to be in the, the relegation zone tonight if Burnley pick up three points. Hmm. It's not a decision, wasn't it? Yeah, there's just a, a deferral of responsibility, I think, that VAR has brought in. It's one of the upshots of it, which we've enough of a body of proof now to look at that. There's so many instances, like the, the handball in the FA Cup tie between Middlesbrough and Manchester United, which again, the lad nearly caught the ball. And it's the referee didn't act because he probably thinks subconsciously or otherwise that VAR will bail me out here. In that instance, VR couldn't rule on a handball that didn't directly lead to a goal. So the Watmore took the ball down with his arm and then squared it. So he wasn't in the act of scoring. So VR couldn't intervene. But again, that was a blatant handball. This one, the referee on field just froze because it was clear as day. Everybody appealed for it. Do you know, some of those you need a second look at. And 
I don't know, insufficient evidence. Like there wasn't there wasn't even a, a suggestion that it was the shoulder or like chest. It was clearly struck his arm. Mm. And these are mass. That's a massive point loss for Everton. And there was enough time in the game to wholly change the result or maybe turn it around and win the game. So, do you know, it's all well and good, as Richie says, making an apology, but points on the board would be a lot more valuable. It was such a bad decision that people were raising the spectre of corruption as the only explanation for such a bad decision. Should hasten to add. Yeah. No corruption at player, but that was the only explanation people could find some kind of logic in. Yeah, I don't know if the, the long game will be a rugby-esque, uh, aud- like an audible conversation. Why, between have, why haven't they done that? Because it's such a no-brainer. Apparently the, well, I just infer from what the commentators say that they're basically listening to it as it's happening. Mm. So whoever the co-com is in this instance, was it Gary Neville basically saying they're not going to give it kind of thing? That also bugs me. Yeah, it's very the co-com is like, oh, they're going to give it, they're going to give it because they're hearing the conversation and then 30 seconds later, referee blows his whistle. I mean, I now want the co-coms to just repeat verbatim what's being said. And what struck me about this situation was that he wasn't asked to come and look at the screen because for a, a pivotal decision, but also one that you would think would only need Lance to confirm that uh, the VAR took it out of his hands on, on that occasion. But like the... The notion that the introduction of video referrals would take the debate out of football has been well and truly quashed because, if anything, it's just heightened. When decision when a decision isn't given a team's way, it's just amplified several fold. Mm. Uh, CJ's texted in on Tuchel. I understand his frustration, but this is much bigger than him. The club he works for is owned by a man in the circle of confidence of a dictator. He needs to pick a side. And to be honest, that should mean walking today. There's no grey area. He's either working for someone who is verified as being an ally ally of Putin or he isn't. Which is a fair way of putting it as well, I suppose. I mean, that might be a question someone may ask of Tuchel. I I, I presume, Rich, in that press conference, nobody said to him, for instance, are you considering your position given events? Uh, No, do you know what? I can get the actual questions up here because I do have... um you know, a transcription of it, but it was all fairly, um, in the main anyway. Uh, how's it affecting preparation? Are you concerned? Yeah, how's it affecting preparation? Are, are you concerned? Like, uh, down here. Okay. Serious matters going on in the world right now and certainly around Roman Abramovich's control of Chelsea. He's passed on control to trustees. Can I ask for your thoughts on that was one question. Is Roman, Roman Abramovich's ownership a problem in the current international situation was the next one. How much of a distraction is everything that's going on and how do you lift the team after Sunday? That was number uh, three. And then on to number four was how worried are you about the future running of the club and what would your message be to fans at the moment? And then question number five was the one we heard attempted and then Tuchel shot back. So mm. like I say, it wasn't exactly, you know, are you considering walking given the fact that you're, uh, your boss is, is linked to Vladimir Putin. It was, you know, you all right? Everyone getting mm. on okay? Team and, are all right? And arguably that last question is maybe the fairest one to ask and the most reasonable one to ask. Like asking how it's affecting preparation and are you worried and all this kind of stuff is there. That's tricky terrain. I think he feels when you're comparing it to what's going on in Ukraine. But maybe considering his position might be one he does get asked over the next while. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, this, this is very tricky uh, terrain as well. So where are we going next? 
FA Cup action as well tonight after knocking out Manchester United in the last round. Middlesbrough welcome Tottenham to the Riverside tonight in the fifth round of the FA Cup. There's no Aaron Connolly for Borough tonight. Uh, the Republic of Ireland striker apparently has a minor injury concern. Premier League leaders Manchester City are away to the Championship's bottom club Peterborough. A recent Ireland call-up Sam Schmodix starts for the posh. An 18-year-old Republic of Ireland underage international Teo Adaramola starts a left-back for Chris pa- Crystal Palace tonight. They're at home to Stoke for whom former Ireland underage international Jack Bonham starts in goal but a hell of a debut uh, for Adam Romola the 18 year old for Palace mm. It would certainly be a powerful gesture if Tuchel were to do it Rich do you think he should? Uh, you see the, the the seeding of stewardship by Abramovich has bought them so much wiggle room but then again you have to look at who his appointees are to the Chelsea board and the people that remain like Marina Gravanskaya and Bruce Buck uh, would certainly be um, acolytes of Abramovich and they would clearly still be under the influence of uh, Abramovich, even if he's saying publicly he's stepping back. There would need to be a vast sweeping change for it to be fully clean of of the stench of what's gone on there for the past uh, 19 years now at this stage. I don't think he will walk. I don't think managers in a position like that will walk. Like the instance we've seen today is the locomotive manager, the locomotive Moscow manager, pardon me. Uh, He's walking away and, you know, that's fair enough. Hmm. But then you have on the other side of things, kind of calls from um, Vitaly Mikalenko, the the Everton fullback, the guy who we saw with the, in the embrace with Zinchenko on Saturday, he put up on Instagram calling out Russia's squad, saying that they've been incredibly silent during all this. He name-checked the Russia captain Artem Zubov uh, by name and basically called them all sorts, saying that they need to speak out against this and that they will pay for their silence, etc., etc. So it's a very emotive subject for Ukrainians posted around the world. But I don't think a link like your chairman or like Frank La- Frank Lampard, who apparently they had Usmanov had to deny that he was actually involved in the interview process to appoint Lampard, even though he was on the call. But apparently was on the call for a separate matter related to um, to uh, to uh, the, the major shareholder Farhad Mashiri. Like they're, they're not these managers aren't going to walk. There's massive contracts behind them. Uh, but there are moral questions certainly to be asked about them and their continued involvement if it's going to be close with the likes of Uzmanov, with the likes of Abramovich and others. Mm. We are out of time. Ronan Mullen, thank you. Cheers, Joe. Richie, thanks very much. Nice one.